as we get started, uh, I just want to remind you, we're going through a series here where we're going step by step over some of the major teachings of the Bible. Uh, we started in January looking at Revelation's Lamb. That's kind of the focal point is Jesus Christ in Scripture. And we looked at it through a focal point in Revelation. But also, uh, last week, those of you who were able to see the video, we were looking at the Great Controversy, which is the foundational theme kind of, the, uh, of what happens in Scripture. And today we're looking at the next part, and would be the law of God. And uh, there are several key uh, subjects we will be walking through step by step. Uh, also, uh, and if you're interested, we are looking at a baptism coming up sometime this spring uh, and then another time this summer. So we are just providing opportunities for growth, learning, and I want to just let you know what we're doing, where we're going, and um, I'm thankful that we can study the Word of God together. If you'd be so kind as to just bow your heads with me. We are grateful, Father, that we have your word. And I pray that as I share, it'll be your Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we observed the inauguration of the 46th President of the United States. At Joe Biden's swearing-in ceremony, he placed his hand on a closed family Bible as he took the presidential oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Bibles have been part of the swearing-in service in inaugurations for a long time. In fact, most of them have happened, with very few exceptions. The previous president, Donald Trump, when he was sworn in, had his hand on two Bibles. Um, and that was a precedent that was actually set by Harry Truman. So I thought I'd just show you a picture. Don't mind a little bit of history this morning, right? And uh, these open Bibles, are, are, they're either closed or open. Harry Truman had two Bibles open, and he had them open to specific texts. One was uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and the other was the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Um, there's different ones. Uh, I, one of my favorite, actually, is two presidents actually had it open to Micah 6.8. He has shown the old man what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Um, but why would Harry Truman choose the Ten Commandments? He's actually the only one that did. I think it's because he realized, and he's not alone in his respect, for the fact that the law of God is the premier law is the foundation of all law. It's the foundation of all right action. Um, the ten simple laws given by God to the nation of Israel are considered to be the finest set of laws ever given. Um, I got ahead of myself before we read that. Um, Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he summarized them. And remember how he summarized, and we looked at this a little bit last week. In Matthew 22, we'll go to it later, love to God and love to others. That was a summary of those Ten Commandments. There is, uh, this, this law of love is what Lucifer actually rebelled against. It doesn't make sense, does it? Why rebel against the law of love? But he did, because the law is love to God, and love to others, and Lucifer wanted to love himself. And that was the struggle that he ran into as he was, as he was fighting with God's law in heaven. Probably if, uh, one of my favorite books, Desire of Ages, makes this statement. In the light from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of self-renouncing love is the law of life for earth and heaven. A beautiful statement here. That the love which seeketh not her own has its source in the heart of God. So this law that we're talking about, this law of God, its foundation is self-renouncing love. So we have to realize that is it something that's positive or negative? How would you describe that? 
Positive, self, self-renouncing love, love towards other people. What a positive picture of the law. And anytime we uh, forget its foundation, we have a problem, I think, because we start focusing on another aspect of the law. Romans says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, Romans in chapter 13 and verse 10. So uh, it doesn't take brilliance to realize that a focus on loving God and your fellow humans leads to a better society. Conversely speaking, we can also see that not loving God and not loving your fellow humans is going to lead to a a tearing down of the fabric of society. Which direction is humanity going today? Yes, which direction is our own country going today? And by the way, the Bible foretold this happening. He did. Uh, The Bible's crystal clear. Paul said concerning the end of time of our planet. He said this, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. And then it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So we're not speaking of worldlings here, per se. We're speaking of professed Christians. But is that a description of today? Absolutely. By the way, it gets very dangerous to put pictures on the screen, and I know that. I was looking at it today. I said, I'm going to try to get pictures that just show the big picture in three pictures, five pictures, of, um, of what we're facing, but it could always come across as political. And so I asked my wife's opinion. She probably wouldn't put any pictures up. She's smarter than I am. But I thought I would do it any because I want you to see. This is especially that center picture. That center picture is called social media, okay? And social media is being used by everyone to focus on oneself and to tear down others. I'm not saying there's not a good place for it. Please don't get me wrong. But it's often being used in a way that is not God's law way. Does that make sense? And that's a struggle that we face. Jesus also said, and by the way, this is a sign of the last days, is a breaking down of love for other people. Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, interesting how he connects these two, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. When there is no love, excuse me, no law, love grows cold. God's love promotes, God's law promotes love. So I'd like to just look at a few passages here as we go through. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40, a place of our scripture reading today. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. Jesus is speaking. He is doing a beautiful job of summarizing. And by the way, Jesus is not simply summarizing the Ten Commandments. You realize he's summarizing all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you wanted to understand what the Old Testament's focus is, it's going to be here what we're about to read. Jesus said to him, You shall... Excuse me, verse 36 is be a better place to start for, for us here. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So if you wanted to summarize what is important and what is being discussed as, as the most important thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Interesting enough, those of you familiar with the Ten Commandments, that'd be all of us here, that's the first four. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. In verse 39, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I like the way it puts that. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. All right, let's look at it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. 
Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus 20, we see God speaking to a nation of Israel. He's, uh, it's, as many people comment, here is a place where God actually is speaking. A lot of scripture, you will say, hear a prophet say, God spoke to me. But in this case, you, God just speaks, and God said all these words, right? That's what it says in verse 1. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and God spake all these words, saying. But it's not just God telling them something. He starts out with verse 2. I love this. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Let me tell you who I am. I'm the one who's taking you from bondage. So before we go any further, I want you to know who's talking to you. I'm the one who's brought you freedom. You were a slave, and you're no longer a slave. Then he says in verse 1, You shall have no other gods before me. And we could continue reading through. I like to just do something. I call it the loving Ten Commandments. I did not have time to put them on a slide, so I'm just going to read it if that's okay. When we love God... The first commandment, we will make God number one in our lives. When we love God, the second commandment, our worship is reserved for God alone. We will worship him exclusively. Number three, when we love God, we will respect and reverence his name. When we love him, number four, we are anxious to have an appointment with him each week. And we want to come and fellowship with him. That's the first four. When we love others, number five, we will honor our parents in authority. When we love others, number six, we will value life because it's a gift from God. When we love others, number seven, we will preserve morality and relationships. Number eight, when we love others, we will respect the property of other people. Yes? Kind of a positive way of looking at it, isn't it? Is there anything wrong with... Do you think anyone would disagree with what we're saying? Minus, I, I, okay, the first four, some people are going to say, yeah, 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 you believers in God. But are they going to have a problem with how we should treat each other? No. Number nine, when we love others, we're honest in our relationships, Yes? We're telling the truth. And finally, when we love others, we realize that coveting is going to lead to greed, bitterness, and resentment, and that doesn't help you treat others nice. When we love others, that's the focus And when we love God. So I believe that love is this foundation of God's law. And when someone fights against the law, you're actually struggling with the foundation of the law, which is love to other people and love to God. You know, I've heard the law presented in many different ways. Being an evangelist, I've presented it in many different ways. Quite frankly, I was kind of excited just to pull it out and put up the slides and just preach this week. And then I said, no, I can't do that. I'm seeing it from a different perspective than I've seen it in a while. So I hope you don't mind. This is a fruit of this last week uh, instead of the fruit of 20 years so I'm putting, uh, there's so much. There's so much because the law, how can someone fight against the law when the foundation of the law is love? It's just mind-blowing to me. It's because we are struggling with something as a society. There's a twofold purpose of the law, and I'd like to just take some time. I didn't say the twofold purpose. I said a twofold purpose because there's so many reasons for God's law, okay? But there's two reasons I would like to look at. First one, we are happier, safer, and, <laughs> I don't know if freer is a word, but freer. We have liberty because of the law. And the second reason is it helps us see our need of Jesus. Let's look at the first one, Proverbs 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study in this section here. Proverbs 29, 18. Uh, we are happier when we have the law. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. The Bible says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. 
How many of you know your children would be happier if they just did what you told them? Most of the time. Okay. Okay. None of you feel that way. Okay. Well, I feel that way. I know that if I had followed what my parents told me most of the time, I would have been a happier person. Guaranteed. God's giving us something not to say, you know what, I'm going to make that life miserable. In fact, I, uh, every now and then we talk to our, our children and say, you know what, we did not wake up this morning thinking of how to make your life miserable. We just want to let you know that. So when we're asking you to do something, it's for your own good. Just trust us. We actually woke up thinking about how we can make your life better. And I think that's God. God is willing to say, how can I make your life better? God's not waking up and saying, hmm, you know what, I just am struggling with you today. I'm going to make your life miserable. But God doesn't do that to us. He's thinking, how can your life be better? And that is uh, the reason God gave us a law, a law of love. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and 165. Psalm 119 is a pretty interesting passage. I know I comment probably every time we get there, but Psalm 119, every single verse, and it talks about the statutes or commandments or law or, or something about that part of God. Every verse. It's, a, it's kind of a neat uh, Psalm. Psalm 119, and we're looking at 165. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. You know, we were talking in our Sabbath school class in Harmony uh, Church before I came here. We were talking about this uh, in Isaiah. The Prince of Peace is coming, right? Peace comes from knowing the Prince of Peace, and it says, great peace have they which love your law. How can you love a law? I mean, how many of you like, I don't know, grab a constitution and love it? I don't know. How do you do that? This loving a law means you really, really respect it and honor it. You think it's great. Why would I feel that way about a law? I mean, I don't feel that way about the speed limit here on Route 20. Do you? But I can feel that way about something that promotes love among everyone. It's the foundation of all society. It's fantastic. Then, yes. Uh, does God know what's best for you? <laughs> You're so good at giving the right answer, right? We are so good as Christians. God does know what's best for us. But do we actually believe it's what's best for us? And that's the struggle because oftentimes what we know and what we feel are two different things. I know what I want, right? But that may be different than what is good. I know what I want. And sometimes our wants struggle with what is right and good for us. You know, there's uh, another passage in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking here and he makes a really kind of neat statement uh, interesting. He goes, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay. Why? I used to think it was interpreted this way. And some of you may still feel this way and feel free to challenge me. That's fine. But I used to think, okay, if I keep God's commandments, then he'll love me. I guess that's what I thought it meant. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, so if I keep the commandments, God will love me. But you know, there is another way to read this. Am I right? There's another way to look at this. If I'm keeping his commandments, I'm living in love. I'm dwelling in his love. Why? Because keeping his commandments is love. I'm abiding in love when I keep his commandments because I'm loving others and I'm loving God. And that is living. That's the highest living. You know, um, I get frustrated when I get stopped for maybe going a little bit too fast. Yes, you may not, but I do get frustrated. However, that same law actually is set up to keep my family safe. You know that? And I praise God for it. That law is to help that. Um, Psalms chapter 119. And then we're going to look at one. We're looking at happier, safer, and uh, not freer, but free. Okay? Psalm 119, 144. 
Again, Psalm 119 is, uh, almost every verse here is looking at the law or commandments or statutes. Psalm 119, 144, and 145 says, The righteous... You know, when you put the wrong verse, it was one of those times. Okay, let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 25. James chapter 1 and verse 25. In school, I, 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 I regret to admit this. I better not admit too much because I know this is, this is videoed and it is kept around for a long time. Um, but in elementary school, there were times when I did not like school rules. And I led in what history would call insurrections. Okay? There were times I remember marching around the school grounds singing a song that was derogatory towards the administration of the school. Okay? It's hard to believe, right? Now, you, those of you who know me well enough. And then God let me become a teacher. It was, goes around, comes around. But there is uh, some of the things I said. We used to be an ad for Chiquita Banana. Yeah, and we used to talk about using it to get rid of teachers. <laughs> I don't know. It's amazing what you would do when you're a kid. Um, but I didn't like rules because rules took away my freedom. Right? I can't be who I want to be. I hate rules. And I didn't like rules because rules took away my freedom. Mrs. Glambus wouldn't let me do this. And Mrs. Arnold wouldn't let me do this. And Mr. Brown, God bless any of you three if, you're, if you ever see this. He didn't let me do this and I'd get so frustrated. But this passage in James 1 says something that doesn't seem to mesh my remembrance of school rules. James chapter 1 and verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Law and liberty don't belong in the same sentence. I thought. But I tell you what, when the school rule said you should not spit on other people, and they didn't quite spell it out like that, that was liberty to somebody else. When the school said don't vandalize, and I did, I was taking away someone else's liberty. Does that make sense? I was removing someone else's freedom. We, we, the law is for the freedom of all involved. Liberty. God wants us to have freedom. And it's one of the reasons he's given us a law. is for you and I to have freedom. Is there freedom without a law? Is there freedom without a law? I'm hearing yes and no. I'm not hearing yes, I'm hearing no, but I'm seeing yes. Um, there's another reason for, and we're going to come back to this, but for now, our next purpose for the law is so you and I can see our need of Jesus Christ. Um, I know this is classic, but let's, let's just look at a couple here. Ro uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans, and, and we'll come back to James probably. Romans chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Okay, wait a minute. So uh, the law is important. It's liberty. It's freedom. Uh, it makes me ha happier. It's safer. It gives me peace but it doesn't justify me. Okay, that's important to know. We'll come back to that. And then it says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law is the knowledge of sin. All right, I'm traveling. I'm going down the street. I see a red light. I'm in a hurry because I'm coming from Harmony. I want to be here. I look both directions. I can, can I go? Wait, 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 wait. 
can I go? Yes, I can. Should I go? No. Let's just say I start to go through anyhow, and all of a sudden, that red traffic light jumps off the wire, lands in the middle of the street and goes, stop! Grabs my bumper and holds on, and my car screeches to a halt. Is that what the law, uh, excuse me, is that what the light does? It just simply tells me what's right and wrong. But it doesn't stop me. That's not its job. It's simply to give me information. God's law, this law of love found in the Ten Commandments, love to God and love to others, it's the same exact way. The law's job is not to jump out and stop you when you're about to do something wrong. It's to let you know you're about to do something wrong. That's its purpose. You know, um, I didn't have a mirror, and my wife said, well, you got one right here, right? Everyone's got a mirror on them these days. So how do, tell me, how do I get a mirror on a camera? Obviously, oh, yeah, you got it. So I take a camera, take a look at myself, spin it around. You look at yourself, right? Right now you can look at yourself. Hi. So you've got a, you've got a mirror right there. Um, this mirror tells me that I look whatever I look like. It says, Chuck, you know, this is your, your eyes, this is your nose, your ears, you've got a mic on, you're wearing a tie. It tells me about it. Can it fix me and make my nose smaller? No, 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 no. Can, can my mirror change the size of my face in any way, shape, or form? Oh, it could change the picture, but it, can it change me? No, this is simply a communicator what I look like, like it or not. And that is, we have to realize, God's law is to show us who we are, good and bad, but it's not its job to fix me. I could take that camera and rub it on my face and hope it would reduce something. Would it do it? Yeah, it's ridiculous, and yet sometimes we think that the law can do that for us. We think that by doing the law right, somehow it'll make us better. I'm sorry, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law can't fix that. It cannot. So, what does it do? 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, probably one of the most classic texts in the Bible when you're discussing the law and sin. It says, sin is the transgression of the law. If, uh, if you sin, sin is called sin because it's a transgression of God's law. So, if I uh, fail in the first four commandments of love to God, the Bible calls that sin. Is that fair? Because sin is transgressing that law. If I fail in the, the next six commandments of love to others, the Bible calls that sin because I have transgressed that law. Sin is a transgression of God's law. Very simple, nothing complicated. Um, so, Romans chapter 4, verse 15. You're already there. Romans 4, verse 15. There is, here's, here's the cure. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Oh, so if I get rid of the law, I no longer have sin. You see that? If I get rid of the law, sin no longer exists. Not hard, right? We remove the law, remove sin. Uh, is there any sin on our planet today? Oh, yes. So is there a law? Absolutely. You know, this is uh, uh, typically what I would do is ask for some helpers. I'm not going to do that to you all because you all know that even though theoretically I'm clear, you're not coming up on this stage with me. But if you don't mind... You know what? Instead of taping it up here, can I, can I do this? Can I just kind of lean it here? Uh, when you have the law, the law tells you what sin is. Is that right? And when I know what sin is, I recognize I have a need for something. And that's a need for something called grace. Would you agree? 
when I have the law, the law tells me what sin is. And where I've sinned is the transgression law. And because of that, I realize I need grace. Grace is unmerited favor, right? It's God giving me something that I don't deserve and taking something that he didn't deserve. Uh, but, but that grace is all connected with Jesus, right? Because Jesus Christ is giving the gift that comes from that grace. And then, of course, uh, what I'm sharing with you today about that is called the gospel. You know, this is, a, this is the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ gives us grace to cover our sin. No, no, no. To, to, to remove our sin so that the law can be upheld. And then, of course, um, you realize that the church is a body of believers founded upon Jesus Christ that believes. What a, what a beautiful picture. So I'm, I'm thankful that we have that again. Um, I think it's important that we, we see it. However, if I got rid of the law, a very interesting chain of events takes place, biblically speaking. If I got rid of the law, I no longer have something to diagnose what is right and what is wrong. And so I no longer have sin. If I get rid of sin, then there really is no need for grace, right? If there is no sin, there's, there's no need for grace. And if there's no need for grace, then I, I definitely don't need Jesus, right? There's no such thing as a gospel. And if Jesus is the head of the church and, and, and the church is a body of believers, we don't have a church. Might as well go home. The law of love to God and to our fellow man is the foundation of our existence. It was the law of life in heaven, is the law of life in heaven, and is the law of life in the universe. Self-renouncing love to all. Fascinating. One of my favorite texts is found in the book 2 Corinthians. Could you turn there with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So, the law points me to Jesus. That's one of its main purposes. What happens when I'm with Jesus? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he, the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God the Father sent Jesus Christ here to take upon himself your sin. Your sin. Your sin. Jesus took your sin. It didn't say he just took it. He became sin. For you and for me. And then when our sin was him and he became sin, he gave us something in exchange. It was called his righteousness. You don't need to know more about my escapades in school. And if you wanted to, I could just say, let's take a time for a contemplation of your past. But we're not going to do that either, okay? But if you looked at your past, as I look at my past, I realize that Chuck Holtry is condemned before God because the law says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And I see it in not having gods. I see it in not worshiping idols. I see it in respecting his name. I see it in, in, in honoring him on his Sabbath. I see that love. And that's not me. Sometimes I've loved myself more than God, more than I like to admit. And then I see myself when it comes to loving others. Oh, man, don't, I shouldn't get started on the fifth commandment. I struggled with this one so bad. And I could say, yes, I haven't killed anyone. You know, but Jesus said you better not hate because Jesus was willing to take it to its ultimate conclusion, true love to others. And I, I've hated. If that could remove some people without anyone knowing about it, I might have. You know, as long as it wasn't too bloody. And, and, and committing adultery, I shouldn't go there, should I? Stealing? God knows our hearts. 
He knows my heart. And I can stand before you and say, I'm condemned by the law of God. So I've run. I have run to grace and say, God, please save me. And he took my sin and became Chuck Hotry. Shame to say it. But he became me so that I could have his record. I would have never run to him if it wasn't for the law. Don't you take away the law that tells me about loving others and loving God because then I would no longer be bad because I love myself and that would be okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, describes this new experience, this this post-exchange between sin and righteousness. There is therefore now, this is verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation to those of us who receive the exchange. Praise God. There is no condemnation for those who have received the exchange, but it goes on. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, the law couldn't do it. God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The law couldn't do it, so God sent his Son. See, the law's job wasn't to change me. It was a let me know. He couldn't do it because it wasn't what he was made to do. So God sent Christ down, condemned sin in his flesh, and then gave me that. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, by the grace of God and through the indwelling Christ, that law doesn't cause me fear. Because God lives it out in me. And if I stumble, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But when God fills me with his love, and I've surrendered to that love, there's a change that takes place in Chuck Holtry. Love for God and love for other people starts gaining ascendancy in my life. You know, I'm convinced that God allowed me to be married and he allowed me to have children to help me understand how much I needed him and also to help me understand what love really is. I praise God for that. By the way, before I was married, I didn't realize, but God gave me friends who I really struggled with. God gave me parents to figure out how to truly love Because I'm going to be telling you, until you can love your parents, you can't love your spouse. You say, but you don't understand. I'm going to marry a perfect spouse and I had the terrible parents. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Sorry. I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe we must learn to love with what we have. And then we'll be able to love with what we don't have. All right. So is the law of God important? Absolutely. Should we live by it? Sure. Who would say, uh, okay, let's stop honoring our parents? No one, right? So keeping that in mind, what about legalism, though? Um, yeah, that's, uh, I hope you don't mind the motorcycle. Um, I have an illustration I was working on. I was hoping that you would be here, Daniel, because I was talking about a motorcycle. I hope I can make sense, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, For by grace, maybe you can know it by memory, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. That's a mouthful. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. Well, it's not, we can't, we, that's the first key line. I'm saved by grace. By faith, I believe in that grace, and it has nothing to do with my works. That's the foundation here. So the law is important, loving God and loving others, right? As seen in the Ten Commandments, that's very important, but that doesn't save me. God says he created me. This is verse 10. I'm his workmanship created unto good works. So God planned that I would be a loving individual. God planned that Chuck Holtry would be a loving individual to him and to those who lived in my circle. That was God's plan for Chuck. He created for me to do that. That's why I exist. By the way, it's why he created you too. He created you to be a loving beam of light in the world that you live in. That's why God created you. So, but you can't save yourself with it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Trying to save yourself is like trying to push, taking a motorcycle that's out of gas, yeah? And you're pushing that motorcycle to get to town. And you're pushing the motorcycle to get there. Have any of you pushed a motorcycle before without gas? Or maybe it had gas, but you pushed it anyhow. Uh, my, my uncle uh, had a Honda Goldwing 1000. Uh, we're talking about a lazy boy on wheels. I mean, what a sweet machine. And I remember being a cool kid, you know, you want to go up and try to kick down a kickstand and hold it. That, that thing weighs, what, 400 pounds? I don't know how much it weighs. It's just a beast of a machine. And I, I, I realized that it was meant to be used with a motor running. Right? It's meant to be used with a motor running. And you're pushing that motorcycle. You're not going to get anywhere, or you're not going to get there fast. But let's just say you have all your bags on your bike, and you want to get to town, and so you just keep pushing and keep pushing. That's what it's like to try to save yourself by keeping the law. It is hard. It is burdensome. It's useless um, because you're not using the bike the way it was intended to be used. Is that fair? You're not using the motorcycle for the right purpose. But, you know, you put gas in the tank. Right, Steve? Make sure the gas actually goes through the lines into the, yeah, the whole thing. And I get on that bike, start it up. I get on it. Now we can get somewhere. That's the same thing with the law. When Christ comes into our lives, he provides the power to our lives. Then all of a sudden, the law can take us wherever we need to go. You realize that those who get into heaven are those who keep the law. But it's not in their own strength. It's because Christ is keeping the law in them. The law doesn't lose its power. The law is still important, but it just can't get us there. Jesus Christ gets us there. All right. It's always been this way. Uh, can someone tell me why you're a Christian? Okay. You love Christ. Okay? You love Christ. That's why you're a Christian. Christ first loved you, maybe, right? And, and, you're, and you're loving in response. Um, have any of you chosen to love God because it's a superior form of living? I mean, is there a difference between Christians and non-Christians? I don't know, maybe these are complicated questions because think about it. In the early church, you know why people wanted to become Christians? Because Christians were different. They were filled with the love of God in their hearts. And, and even though everyone was persecuted in those days, not everyone, but most, did you know 90% of Rome was slave? I mean, we're just, this is, not a, this is not a fun, free society in Jesus' day, okay? And so everyone, uh, not everyone, but most people are having difficult lives. And when they notice these people have difficult lives, have peace, and they're loving. And these people have difficult lives, are causing insurrections. Ooh, I like these people. Christians are different because something, someone is in their life, and they're a different person. I want to be like them. And so the life of Christians changed the world. People said, man, I want to be like them. You see how they died? See, that doesn't really motivate me. But you see how that person died? They had peace in their eyes when they died, and I don't have peace when I'm alive. I want to be like them. And there was this change. 
Because people wanted to be like Christians because Christians, well, let's face it, they kept the commandments. Why? Because there was love to God and love to others. And that takes a miracle. It takes a miracle because there's no one in this room who has that kind of love. Only God can give that kind of love. By the way, I, I, I'm going to sound a little, bit of, a little bit bold here, and if please don't take it wrong, but I, I could not steal. I cannot commit murder. I mean, I'm going to look at the surface words. I'm not talking about the intents underneath. I can do all of this. I can keep the Sabbath. I'm here right here today. I didn't curse this week. I don't have an idol in my house. Woohoo. Chuck can do it. But when I boil it down and say, Chuck, do you really love God? You're going to get me to become quiet. I, I, I love him, but I know I struggle with loving me. Chuck, do you really love others? Like, like, like do you really show your life, wife love? Do you really show your children love? Do you really show your fellow church members love? I don't steal. Do you see the problem? When you boil it down to its purest form and you see what's involved, I have to say, I don't have what it takes, God. I don't. But God does. That's why Christianity is this. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. And then this next passage is found in Galatians. You know it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's a different person. Chuck has changed. The Chuck before Christ isn't going to heaven. That's, that's the reality. Because the Chuck before Christ only thought of Chuck. It has to be the Chuck in the year of our Lord. A.D., not B.C. That's the Chuck. Because Christ lives in him by grace. Make sense? You know, there's uh, just some brief thoughts. You know what? I, I, I realize we have a lot of material. I'm going to just take one or two statements here, one or two of the next slide, and then we're going to close up some thoughts as we, as we go out, okay? Um, let's look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17. Matthew 19 and verse 17. We're just going to look at Jesus and the law. What did Jesus think about the law? Was the law important to Jesus? And I think we're going to see that it was, but it makes sense that it would be. Jesus talked about love. The Bible says God is love. And if the commandments are about loving God and loving others, surely it's going to be important to him. It just, it, it makes sense. It's a logical thing. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17 says, So he said to them, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus looked at the crowd that was around him and said, I'm going to ask you to do the impossible. Keep the commandments. And the reason why I said it's impossible is because it's impossible for a human being to keep the commandments of God unless that human being is filled by God himself. You, without Christ, cannot keep the commandments of God. You can't love without Christ. It's impossible. Jesus asks the impossible. Then he gives us his life so it becomes possible. That's Christianity. What a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. And we've already looked at John chapter 15, verse 10. Let's look at Paul and the law. And, uh, you know, Paul's teaching sometimes is misused to say that the law has actually got done away with. But it, I struggle with it. You know why? Why would you do away with a law that says you're supposed to love others and love God? 
Why would God do that? He doesn't. I think it's because of our misunderstanding. Legalism actually has caused a lot of stress with the law. People actually thinking that I can keep the law on my own strength has given a really bad name to the law. Quite frankly, the law is a beautiful thing. And sometimes we've made it a hammer. Because it's like, okay, you people out there, you better do it. Hellfire is burning. It's waiting for some kind of fuel. And when we teach like that or preach like that, inadvertently, we're, we, we've got to be careful because the law wasn't made for me to keep it to save me. The law was made to show me who God is, to show me what life is. And then God, I can say, I can't do it. He says, okay, I'll help you, Chuck. I'm going to come in and do it in you. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And I'm going to give you my righteousness to cover up your sins that are past. Ooh, that's great. So when you look at the record of Chuck Holtry from January 29, 2021, and backward, all you could see is Jesus Christ's righteousness. Wait a minute. There's a lot of stuff in those uh, 45 years I don't like. Chuck, I made my son to be sin for you so you could be righteous in him. That's good news, friends. It's not just me. I'm talking about you. Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Uh, Paul is pretty, pretty unequivocal in, in, his, in his speaking of it, but it's because he understood what the law was. Uh, Romans 3.31. Do we then make void the law through faith? <laughs> Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And that makes sense, right? Uh, how can you establish the law through faith? I believe that Jesus Christ paid the death I was supposed to have. And I believe that he will give me his righteousness. That faith establishes the fact that the law still exists. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, all right. Let us... Oh, Romans 6.15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Should we sin because we're not under the law because under grace? See, I'm not under the law, so now I can do whatever I want. I can hate others, and it's perfectly okay. I can hate God, and it's perfectly okay because I'm not under the law. Wait, wait, what did it say? Certainly. Certainly not, or if you have the King James, God forbid, just a strong, no way. Why? Because the law was love. How can you say, okay, I'm under grace, so now I don't have to love anymore? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. However, there is something that we should know. I'm not under the condemnation of the law. That's beautiful. Because I'm not under the condemnation of the law, I actually can look at the law and not be scared by it. I have hope instead of fear. Christina and I were coming back. Uh, we were not married yet. We had gone to a friend's wedding uh, that was actually a couple weeks before ours. And we were coming back to the state of West Virginia and uh, West Virginia has those, you know, up and down portions. And I was on one of the down portions. And, uh, <laughs> and I was exceeding the speed limit by more than I like to admit, okay? I got pulled over, and the uh, police officer looked at me, asked for my registration, you know, license, insurance, gave it all to him. Uh, he went back, was checking everything. But when he had stopped me, instead of looking at me, he looked at Christina sitting in the seat next to me. She was still dressed up from the wedding, and there's little flowers there. And we looked, you know, semi-happy at that point. And uh, it was great. He came back and said, I just, I'm going to give you a warning. I knew it was because she was sitting next to me. I, I want to give you a warning. And I thought, oh. You see, when he stopped me, I was under the condemnation of the law. <laughs> there's no question. I, I'm done. I deserve everything that's coming to me. But when he said, you know, I'm going to let you go, I'm no longer under the condemnation of the law, even though the law still exists. The law for speed limit in West Virginia didn't change when he said, I'm not condemning you. But my relationship to the law changed. I'm an uncondemned man now. Oh, what a, what a good feeling. One thing I didn't do is spin out and go back to the original speed. I, will, I wait till he left. Right? And then I pulled out slowly, and I stayed under the speed limit for the rest of my time in West Virginia. 
or at the speed limit. You know me. I, I won't go over, but please let me get where I'm going. That's when I have seen that God has freed me. And he said, Chuck, I know you're imperfect that you're loving. I understand that. You've really messed up because you're so selfish. But what I'm going to do, Chuck, is I'm going to give my son his righteousness to you, and I'm going to take your sin and place it on him. And so, it's up to you. You want to start over? Yeah, yeah, God. And by the way, I know that unlike the fact that I can actually obey the speed limit in my own strength, I can't love in my own strength. So God actually gives me his son to come and live in me. 1 John chapter 4 tells us, verse 9, that God sent his son to dwell in us. That's, that, that was what the love was, giving his son to dwell in us. Not, not just to pay the price for my sins, but to live in me. That is awesome love. All right. What about the end? Are God's commandments of love always important? I like to look at the final book of the Bible. You don't mind just going to a few passages with me? We'll close up with this. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is the history of God's people. As you look at the history of God's people in Revelation chapter 12, we see that it's this, this battle between a dragon and God's people. The whole way through time. The dragon and the woman, right? There's just this battle back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when you get to the end of the passage in Revelation 12, verse 17, it says, And the dragon was enraged, wroth with, angry, very angry with the woman. And he went to make war with the remnant of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. The dragon, we're told, is Satan. And Satan is angry with God's people because they keep God's commandments. Let me tell you why. Because Satan hates the commandments that tell you to love God and to love other people. He's rebelled against that from the very beginning. The law of self-sacrificing love is Satan's worst enemy. And anyone who would dare honor God by loving him and loving other people with self-sacrificing love can't stand it. And by the way, as you and I know, we can't do it without Christ living on us. That makes us even more angry. It makes him even more angry because there's a group of people who've allowed Christ in their hearts. It gets him angry. By the way, if something makes Satan angry, do you want to do it? Don't answer. We're not sure. Of course we want to do it, even though we hesitate saying that. But you're on God's side. There's nothing to worry about. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, speaks of a group of people who give a message to the entire world about Jesus coming, about being aware of blasphemy and falsehood, and also a warning of judgment. And at the end, in verse 12, Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Again, describing those who give a message to the entire world, I believe it's important to know they keep the commandments of God. You know why I think it's important? It's because the only way you and I could actually give the commandments, give a message to the world is if we actually love God and love others. It's impossible otherwise. It takes too much self-sacrifice to live a life of mission. Unless God's in me and I love him with all my heart and soul and I love others as myself. Then the three angels' message becomes a reality. And the final one, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Uh, blessed are they who do his commandments, that they may right to the tree of life and enter into the city. Again, in heaven, there is a foundational law and the law in heaven, the one that Satan rebelled against, is the law of self-sacrificing love, where I do everything for God and for other people. And because everybody does that, everyone's living in the atmosphere of perfect love. If someone doesn't 
have that law of love in their lives through the power of the indwelling Savior and the Holy Spirit, they won't be in heaven. But the reason is, is because heaven exists only with love. That's the only reason. There is no reason for you and I to not have God's law in our lives, except for one, and that's if we love ourselves more. If for some reason you're struggling with that, uh, you're not alone. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think there's probably a lot of us who wouldn't mind saying, I struggle with love for myself. But I ask Christ to come into my heart. I do this. There is a prayer, I know I've shared it with you many times. It's a prayer that I pray often. Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It's your property. Keep it pure, because I can't keep it for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me in a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. I pray it because Chuck Holtree goes and says, God, I can't even give you my heart. You're going to have to take it. I think it's the same for all of us, yes? Do you want God to take your heart? Do you want to have his love in your heart? I do. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, as we've shared that prayer that you inspired, we pray, Father, you will take our hearts. We can't give them to you. We pray you'll save us in spite of ourselves. We thank you for this law of life, the law of love to you and to others. We want to have it in our hearts. We're asking Jesus to come in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.